Hey, this is Marshall Schenk, and this is the Proven Men Podcast. Before we begin, I would like to thank our sponsors. Uh, the White Heart Cafe is an awesome cafe here in Lynchburg uh, that believes that community happens over coffee. They are all about fostering a, welcome, a welcoming culture of love, equality, and development through an exceptional quality product and customer service experience. So if you guys are in the Lynchburg area, be sure to stop in and support the White Heart Cafe. They absolutely love Proven Men and believe in what we're doing, and so uh, in return, we'd love to support them as well. So today, um, I had the privilege and opportunity to um, sit down with Mike Kunzinger, who is the executive director of Student Counseling Center at Liberty University, as well as a local priest at the Church of the Good Shepherd in downtown Lynchburg. He holds a Master of, Master of Arts in Religion as well as a Master of Arts in Counseling, and he is a licensed professional counselor in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He has worked in the mental health field, providing counseling for 17 years, and Mike has worked in many diverse settings, which include private counseling clinics, churches, treatment facilities, group homes, psychiatric units, adult and adolescent, as well as a university setting. Uh, he, this has afforded him the opportunity to work in a wide range of individuals with a wide range of difficulties. Um, he's also had extensive training in family therapy. Uh, he has previously worked at Lynchburg League of Therapists, where he ha- was supervised in the structural family therapy for two years. So all I know is that uh, this man has an incredible amount of experience uh, with counseling, um, especially in the realm of pornography. So we had invited him on to the show. Um, absolutely brilliant man with great thoughts um, and a great mind. And so uh, I hope you really enjoy this conversation with him. Uh, if you like it, uh, be sure to like it and share it with your friends. Uh, we would love that. Absolutely love that. So thank you again for listening. And here is Mike Kunzinger. Today uh, I have... One of my friends, I think I can call you that now since we've hung out more than once, Mike Kunzinger. Uh, Mike is the executive director at the Student Counseling Services at Liberty University, yeah. not center. Right. Um, but it's the counseling center too. Right. So that works. Students come there. So, right. And he's also a local priest here in Lynchburg, Virginia at the Church of the Good Shepherd. Um, Mike, you have a lot of letters behind your name I saw online, and I don't know what all of them means. So if you want to kind of go through your background, um, your counseling background, that way we have a good understanding of why the heck we should... Listen, listen to, to whatever you. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. You know, we'll Either see. way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I have two master's degrees, one in religion, and then the other is in counseling. And I'm a licensed professional counselor in the, the, Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I'm a national board certified counselor as well. Cool. So, yeah. What's, what is the difference between a Commonwealth and a state? There are only a couple Commonwealths. That's a, that's a totally difference. different... I thought we were only talking about we, things related to. Yeah, this I don't. Is off topic. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, we'll have to look it up. Yeah, well, you didn't do your research. <laughs> I did not. I'm not prepared. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I thought I was going to learn something today. Guess yeah. not, folks. You can just go ahead and turn it off now. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to learn anything. We'll, we'll record and I'll say state. <laughs> state. Instead. Yeah. Re- redo here. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for thanks for coming in. I'm really excited about this conversation with you. Um, just with your focus in counseling, I think your expertise, especially in the topic of pornography, but also um, just in humanity in general, as you've been doing this for 17 years, I yeah. saw online of walking alongside people, walking alongside their stories. I think it'll be 
um, really cool to, yeah, to dig into that. So um, where I kind of first heard your expertise on the topic of pornography, well, your expertise in counseling through the topic of pornography and in the topic of pornography was at Liberty University's The Right Wolf uh, forum and there there's a Nick Liberto our executive director was on this panel as well yeah. as well as you uh, and a couple of other awesome awesome folks um, and so they had a couple of questions where they just ran through the questions and you answered them and uh, I would like to just start there if we can just start with the questions and we'll see where this thing goes sure uh, the first question that they asked was what are the moral frameworks around the consumption of pornography um, and I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. So, uh, yeah, help us out. Sure. Well, there's particulars, particular moral frameworks that I think, based on different individuals, would have different frameworks. Uh, as far as we can talk about comprehensive frameworks as it re- as it relates to ethics in general, maybe that would be a helpful thing to to do a flyover. Yeah. Sure. With. Yeah, someone who I think is helpful here is the president. He's the president of Gordon Conwell up in Boston. His name is Dennis P. Hollinger. And he puts ethics under three different categories. And so we can talk about those briefly. The first one that he talks about is consequentialist theories. And the idea behind consequentialist theories is what's the greatest good for the greatest amount of of people. And so the one sacrifices their desire for the good of, of the many. And so that's also known as utilitarianism as in terms of a category of, of ethics. So it's like uh, consequentialism. What are the consequences to my individual actions? Is exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the argument that, that people use ethically as far as we could say the blast radius, I guess, of my actions. Mm. Either there isn't really one, in my view, or it's very limited, therefore, there, that's a justification for me doing what I want to do. Mm. And I've heard, in terms of talking to people about pornography, I've heard them say that it's not a big deal, it's not wrong, mm. ethically, because who is it affecting? Right. Is it really a consequence for the person who's by themselves in their room viewing a screen that's not that's not problematic. It's not immoral, so on and so forth. And right. so I've heard you know, we've talked. I've talked to people where I don't see what the big deal is mm-hmm. because of this very thing. There's not, as I've already said, there aren't real consequences sure. uh, in my view. And so that's the first category in terms of of ethics. And there's other ones that can fall under this. As far as the you may have heard of a teleological ethics. Uh, what's the outcome of my decision making? Uh, kind of the ends justify the means okay, so if, yeah. if the end result is one to where it's not there's not again uh, consequences in my view then that's okay it's, yeah. it's all right so that's the first as i said that's the first category that that he gives and the second one is principal ethics and that's ethics based on duty or as it says uh, based on a principle mm-hmm. and so something's wrong because it's it's wrong based on it's our duty to do what is right Mm. and um yeah it's basic normative practices as far as this is we do it because it's 
it's the right thing to do. And someone is subscribing to the idea that there's there's absolute truth. There is right. And there yeah, is there law. right. There are rules, and right. we ought to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be kind. We should be caring towards one another. So we could say uh, the rule of love, perhaps that that holds in and of itself, because it's our duty to follow the way of of love. Okay. Um, by way of of example, it's a principle. It's our duty. It's it's inherently right to love, um, and we can argue that based on the rule itself. Okay. Okay. And then there's virtue or, or character ethics. And really the idea behind this is if it's ethics that uh, focus on, um, on what, is, what is good for um, the person as an individual, their character, uh, what makes one, one virtuous. And this is really based in, so there's a, our characters are, and virtue is based and it's steeped in the context of a community. And so there's a community that shapes us by uh, its practices. And as we're steeped in that community, uh, the outcome is, is what we might say ethical uh, individuals. Um, and so we want to be virtuous rather than people that are, are tied to vice, uh, perhaps. So that he gives those three. I think that's kind of helpful. And maybe it's, yeah, it's a lot yeah, sure. as far as... Uh, uh, different constructs, but it, I think it's a starting point because people, as we talk about it, they're going to be arguing from one of those particular places. Right. Yeah. yeah. And would you say there, those three are the the only way well, you, you had made the point that consequential could have a few different variants underneath it. Um, where would you say the the Christian would fall in this ethic, other than a like? Christian ethic would it yeah. be a principle or would it be I almost wanted to say okay well there's a there's a moral value there that aligns but there's also I, mean, I, I like the last two except for the, yeah. the the part of how it affects me individually yeah but there is aspect of that to a Christian walk I think of but yeah yeah I think we could we can pull from all of them I think all of them are are part of if you, if we say we we use scripture as as ethical it's ethically normative for us, we could say that the way of, what, what language do we want to use? The way of Jesus mm. is is the best way for the most amount of people. Yeah. And so that's the consequentialist piece and the principle. It's it's right because the same thing, because what as far as scripture says, because based on those, as I said before, based on love or the way of love, based on truth, based on the way of uh, beauty, it's it's right because it's right. Mm. Again, there's an inherent quality to that. So I think you could argue from that angle as well if we use scripture. And then more of the existential piece in terms of virtue. Obviously, we're called to to uh, live the virtuous life. And the way of Jesus is the way of, of virtue. Mm. And that is cultivated and built within the context of, of a community. Mm. So I, I, I think all of them are, are ethics that we can find within the context of, of Scripture or the Bible. Sure, sure. Great. Uh, and another question that they asked, I don't know what number this is, but um, uh, is pornography a threat to today's moral climate? And you had an interesting yeah. answer to this one. Uh, so for those of you who weren't there, which is most likely all of you, um, 
when well Nick had shared me these questions beforehand mm-hmm. and so I, I had kind of helped him in the I like walking through like partnering with him and walking through how to answer this question right and so my response to that was uh, yes right yeah and then we move on right like yeah. I, I would just yeah. say yes and period next right period <laughs> right, yeah. right and I said I don't know if you want to do that in that context but it seems funny to me um, and it probably wasn't the most professional thing ever but uh, that's what I would have done is yes uh-huh. uh, and then it comes to you and yeah. you had a radically different response, which was, which was really fun to listen to. So, okay. Yeah. So my answer, obviously, as you set it up was no. Yeah. And yeah, I think people were taken <laughs> yeah. aback by like, that uh, unexpected. Who's this guy? Let's get him out of here. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. And what I mean by that is I think that we get what we want if we're ordering the plate, the entree, I think this is the very entree that we've ordered. And what, what do I mean by that? And so there's a, there's a Jack Johnson song that, that comes to mind. And he, he's talking about someone who was involved in, in a mass shooting or a murder mm-hmm. rather in the song. And, and the lyrics circle around and they circle the question of who's, who's to blame or who's, whose fault is this? Is it the parents' responsibility? Is it the, the actor or the writer of the movie who he based his life on? Is it the, the man behind the counter who sold the gun to his father or whomever to give him access? Who's, who's to blame? Right. And in essence, he says that the, the blood is on all of our hands. Yeah, yes. And, and he says if, and excuse me here, but he says if, if hell is what we want, then hell is what we'll have. You're excused. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You can say hell here. (laughs) And I think that's, to his point, that's that's an important point, or it's a sobering point, and as it relates to this conversation, Mm -hmm. because I think one value, as we talk about value and ethics, that we as a culture value, perhaps above all else, I don't, I'd have to think about that, but a high value is is the market and free trade. Mm. and um, that we have the right with whatever we have to gain profit from that, mm. including our, our bodies. Mm. And so if, if a man or a woman have uh, what they would deem as a, as a beautiful body or a body that they feel like ought to be displayed in terms of pornography and et cetera, that they can do that because... Uh, it's the market that we value. That's their way of gaining things fiscally. Mm. Uh, That's a whole nother way, a new way of thinking. The antithesis of that of modesty, right? Like right. Not marking your body for others' consumption in this world today, where. Um, yeah, I think th- I, I think that's one real danger of pornography is. It, it is you, you go to shop for whatever you would like right. yeah you can have it all right, right. If i want a specific and i can search until i i find that i had a youth pastor um the youth pastor my entire life and yeah it, as i struggled as a teenager he pulled me aside and rick harris um at, at north Rock baptist and he, mm-hmm. he had said um there's never a perfect video uh, and that really stuck with me as somebody who struggled with pornography. I mm. mean, because there's there is this concept of like searching and searching and searching for 
this perfect video that's going to suit all my needs and it's just not there. Right. So it's interesting. But yeah. So on the antithesis side of modesty, like how to teach that to the next generation is, um, your value is not found and your worth not found in this product called your body. So there's no need to, uh, that's new. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really is. We're at a place in, in time and we're at a place in our Western culture, particularly where it's the commodification of, of all things. Mm -hmm. And so we can buy and sell everything, even, even art, the commodification of, of art, the commodification of our, of the self. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like that's the natural progression of, of this kind of thinking, Mm -hmm. of this way of, of being in the world where, as you said, we have the collective, we have defined ourselves because basically due to our praxis uh, as consumers mm. that that our primary purpose in the world is to acquire right to consume to have as a mode of of being and so i that, i think that's where we were so we're getting exactly i don't think it affects our culture i think it's exactly what we've set ourselves up to, to have as right. where we or find it's, ourselves. It's not a threat right. to the moral climate because the moral climate is begging for Correct. this outcome. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is what we want. The hell, the hell that you get. Uh, right. The hell yeah, this is what for. we've, we've ordered to go back to right. kind of my first thing. This is what we've ordered up. So, right. and you even see that in a, a lot, a lot of pornography today. I mean, there's, well, it's one of the biggest markets, 97 billion last time yeah, I checked, exactly. um, coming up on 98, wow. uh, which is really striking. And on top of that too, you, you've got sites literally dedicated to the opportunity to tip, um, uh, these chat rooms where you can pay money to, for their services, quote unquote, right? Really? The, the yeah, showing of these services, which, um, is a special kind of objectification yeah. Um, because you get paid out for putting out um, hmm. is the way that I've heard it said, uh, which is, it, it's really sad, right? It's really sad. This is, it is an opportunity, not just in a, a world where you shoot a video, it goes live, you make money off that video, but like I can, I can, there's an opportunity for me to go home to s- create an account and to make yeah. money off showing my body to complete strangers. Right. Uh, right. And there's marketing schemes around that. Uh, Absolutely. I, yeah. It's interesting, scary stuff, like really, really sad stuff that we've, um, yeah. And talk about that. Just, I mean, in, even in your own, um, have you seen that in your counseling? Um, I know you can't share to great detail, obviously, but, um, do you see that? How do you see that play out in just everyday life? Right. We're not, I'm not a porn star. Right. Um, most people who listen to this aren't, maybe partaking of pornography, but right. necessarily in the business of selling their bodies. But yeah. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, the, the viewing of porn, it shapes, it shapes the way that I view people. And if I'm looking at pornography that has to do with women, it gives me a particular view, a particular expectation, and it shapes my wants as it relates to sex. Mm. And so as you talk about objectification and all those things, it, it's not about, it doesn't become about love. It doesn't become about 
being attentive and carry and yeah, caring and the affections it becomes about because if it's a product right then it can be you can be discarded yeah it's something just just for my consumption and as we think about literal consumption what happens we take it in we chew it up and then it's it's voided and it's it's flushed Mm. it's gone and it's there for my enjoyment if it's merely that obviously that gets into stewardship and we would say that's poor stewardship absolutely and we're not to steward human beings or or the created order in that in that way but it it again it shapes the way that i look at at people and how i engage them and what i expect from them and you ask about what that's like in people's stories how that plays out and so you have married men and i sit across from from married men and their expectation is one where they they bring pornography what they see on the sites in videos through images and they expect their wives to to do that it's informed their mm-hmm. sex life their imaginations are informed by these images yeah and it it speaks to oh, well this if it's in pornography then perhaps it's it's normal perhaps right. this is the way it ought to be and so there is a built-in i would say ought as we talk about again ethics yeah, right. in yeah. pornography that this is this is what's normal and this is what's what everyone's doing behind closed doors so if i'm not enacting that if i'm not doing that in my own life in my own marriage then i'm in a category that is atypical that's mm-hmm. different that is deviant perhaps from and in, in the strictest sense of the word from what other people are doing and so it shapes us to to view our relationships in a particular way and i would say as you said in an objectified way and the question of the the mechan is this it becomes perhaps mechanistic because i see them doing this and these in these ways that means that i need to do that and it's not out of again it's out of comparison Mm. rather than out of affection yeah my wife and i well, I stopped watching this show but because of different things like this, but uh, New Girl, have you, have you heard of New Girl? It's a TV sitcom, a humorous sitcom. Yeah, no, I've heard of it. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's uh, about... Um, this is Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make, she is the new girl uh, okay. in this apartment. And so it's just a bunch of uh, late 20s, early 30s people uh, fumbling about life. Well, that, that may be my opinion. Um, trying to figure out what, you know, it's this climate of trying to figure out what to do with themselves. Um, at one point they're having in one episode, this is what it reminds me of. Um, it's the last end of the wedding season. And Mm -hmm. so they're trying to capitalize sexually on that. Right. And so before the winter comes, uh, as they would say, um, and, Zoe Deschanel's in this wedding. Uh, the best man is super funny and attractive, and mm-hmm. she's trying to connect with him. But there's another character, and I'm terrible with actresses, but she is a known actress. I, I recognized her, so she's probably famous. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. If I if I recognized her, she's probably right. worth some salt. Um, and um, and in this, they're competing for this man's attention, and it's pretty outlandish and outrageous uh, how they're doing that. But this lady has makes a point over De- Zoe um, 
uh, her Jess is the character's name in the show, mm-hmm. um, that she watches pornography on a regular basis to keep up with the latest trends. Like yeah. that's how she mm-hmm. words it, yeah. right? And so it yeah. seems like that, like that would pay play out. Like I, I don't know if it's humorous or not, but that's yeah, it's the concept. FOMO piece, right? The fear yeah. of missing out. Yeah, yeah, FOMO, right? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and I, I, now if I do watch that show, it, it's with an eye of this. You you're watching this play out just in culture, the consumerism in culture, right? And she's she's keeping up to date with what's new and sexual trends yeah. as if this is the MTV of music, right, right, the MTV right. of, well, the old MTV, I guess I should say, of, uh, yeah. of the sexual culture. It's so, so interesting. A little deranged. Yeah. No, a absolutely. lot of deranged. Yeah. Uh, but it's almost a, a thing of status. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, keeping up with what is, what is normal. And that's again, informed by what's informing that. Mm. And if porn's informing that, then the question is, are, are we in trouble? Mm. Is that the thing that should be informing our, our practices, our relationships? Right. And so forth. And I think what's so interesting is I've been reading a lot about, and I had talked about this previously on the podcast, but a lot about the sexual revolution. Yeah. And the main, well, the guy who had kind of, marketed the sexual revolution was named Marcuse. Mm-hmm. And he was a Frankfurt school of thought Marxist. And really his idea behind the sexual revolution was to bring about socialism. Right. So he was a, uh, that was really his own intent. And mm. so you can read that in Eros and civilization. And so it was less, that was like 51, I believe. Okay. Um, and 53, I, I'm pretty sure playboy began, but, um, sexual revolution really took off in the sixties. But the premise yeah. that, uh, that true freedom happens in letting yourself go. Right. right. And, uh, one quote that I always come back to and that is really, I've really rested in is a Timothy Keller quote. I think I can't knowing God is that, no, that's Packer. Uh, I can't remember the book. Reason for God. Reason for God. Yes. Is that, um, freedom is not the absence of, uh, like confinement, right? So a yeah, fish, the analogy uses is a fish is not truly free outside of the confines of water. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the sexual revolution made you think and it taught that true freedom is just being able to do whatever yeah. the heck you right. want. Right? And right. And you really start to see this take off. And I think w- what we've got is with the me too movement, which agree with or don't, or disagree with whatever, um, the me too movement and with, um, the sounding off of just leaders of our country today, you know, and these 470 some people getting arrested for this child porn ring. Mm -hmm. Right. I think what you're seeing is the reality of like fish out of water, right? Like they've taken themselves out of the confines and and pornography truly is, it was for me, education based off sex. Hmm. Um, and it took a lot, it took a lot of time, um, in my marriage to rethink, right? Because it's true. Whether I wanted to or not, I was learning at 12 years old. Um, and now the youngest age you know, the average age of being exposed to pornography last time I checked was six. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which, uh, yeah. What are they learning? Right. Like, what are you, what are you taking in? And for me it was about self pleasure and isolation. Hmm. Right. So 
you get married and you realize that it has little to like, well, built in mechanism, God given mechanism, I believe is that you find greater pleasure in pleasuring the other, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that you don't get from pornography, right. which builds this intimacy and oneness. I think that you, this God given gift right. that I had to fully rely on, um, in my relearning sex. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that brings up a interesting point too, as we, talk about these ethical considerations that does the sex have anything to do with love Mm. does that need or ought that be a part of the equation and then how do we define love if love to your point if love should be a part of the equation and there obviously there are those that would say it, it doesn't need to be a part of the equation but what is that then why why should it be right and it's interesting because Lewis, just Lewis defines love as a steady wish for the ultimate good in another, as far as it can be obtained. And you just said that. That's beautiful. Say that again. A steady a wish. A steady wish for the ultimate good in another, mm-hmm. as far as it can be obtained. And so my, my focus in relationship and even in the sexual act is, is a wish for the other's good. And that's, that's the goal. Mm. And you absolutely sex has become divorced from that mm. from if we if we define love in that way and if love is about allegiance to a person and as you said that there should sex happen within a context right within parameters within borders and boundaries or is it okay for it to run wild in the streets right unrestrained with whomever and is that good and the idea of if we think about what the greatest good is and we talk about what does flourishing look like for us i think that we would say that love is a part of of our flourishing and it absolutely is in terms of a child's development and it causes all kinds of problems and you talked when we hung out about attachment Mm -hmm. pieces and attachment theory and and the idea that if if the child doesn't attach to its primary caregiver, that it can be catastrophic, honestly. And if they don't have that ordering of their of their world initially by the parent who is their world, whose face and presence and and touch orders their their way of being, if they don't have that, again, then that causes problems, not just then, but later on in life. And so that speaks to, I would say, the need for not only to be nurtured, but for for love. And that we assume, again, that the reasons that there is a good and healthy attachment is because the parent loves. And ought that be the base for all subsequent relationships? That there's a context. The baby doesn't go to whomever indiscreetly. It it's shaped and it knows to go to mom, uh, to attach to mom. Mom is, is primary. And so as we grow and, and love and get to choose our own partner and engage in, in sex, and, and we even call it making love, we use it interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Ought there not be a base of trust that I know that in this, in this need and my need that mutually 
that person's there to meet that need. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it would seem to me to <laughs> that it's important that there is a context because context and parameters make it safe. Even the child at play, there's they're not playing anywhere and everywhere because the parent can't protect them. We would might say it's not it's not loving. Someone would probably come to your house and knock on the door and say, "Hey, can you see your child?" Well, yeah, I know they're out there. Well, they're running to and fro across the street. That's that's dangerous. Oh well, I asked. Neglect, right? Yeah, yeah, I asked them to stay in the yard. Yeah, exactly, because that's the context where you can protect them and care for them well. And so, if we take that out of the equation as we talk about sex and making love, I would say, yes, that's absolutely problematic. We don't have a base. What seems like the base in, uh, outside of Christian culture is that it's consent rather than context. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As long as she's good with it and I'm good with it. Like, then it's fine. Then we're good. Right? Yeah. And you're, and you're seeing that like, well, there's just, yeah, we, we've substituted love for mm-hmm. agreeance or mm-hmm. agreement you know, yeah. which is, well, and you're seeing in the Me Too movement is r- radically hard to define, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, these nonverbal cues that I'm giving you to say no. Okay. Well now you're getting an illegal issue. And so, and yeah, the, the point of there's, there should be a context of security yeah. uh, in this. Maybe that's why it's created mm-hmm. this way. And, and I think, I think this should have been the stance of the church in the fifties. And yeah. I know to some degree it was, but not right the idea was that these are stale stale moral values right that need right. to be rid of and yeah well that's the the other piece i might bring this in and as far as principle or or an idea to to bat around is this idea of of what does it mean to be to be human and primarily or one piece to that i believe is as humans we're we're vulnerable and going back to that first relationship where I was just talking about mm. with, with, we need that level of protection from parents because we're absolutely, we come into the world absolutely vulnerable. And at the picture of our vulnerability, I think maybe the most striking picture is nakedness is the, the human form naked because it, it literally is stripped down to what? Mm. To its most vulnerable. Mm. Place. It's it's a picture of vulnerability, and the question of uh, what, as we relate to the other, as we relate to each other, how do we steward our steward our our vulnerability, and where does nakedness come into the picture? Well, it comes in Genesis in the, in the fall that after the fall, Adam and Eve awaken to the reality that they are naked, and they are they are ashamed, and what's God's response to their nakedness well he provides and their vulnerability well he provides them with with covering he provides them with with clothing and and he even talks about in ezekiel i believe it's 16 that he talks about his relationship with jerusalem and how he passed by her and she was naked and he cleaned her up in the same same language is there that he he clothes her and and we see that at the cross, that Jesus became naked. He hung naked, utterly vulnerable with his arms stretched wide open, nailed open. 
in order to clothe us and more particularly to clothe us with his his own righteousness and so it seems to me that the biblical answer to vulnerability and nakedness is a clothing Mm. to clothe and do we move towards each other in our nakedness and our vulnerability to clothe or do we move towards each other in vulnerability and nakedness as we see that presented to us however it comes to us in exploitation yeah and wow in in the movie what is it american beauty there there's a scene i guess a little background to the story uh, it has kevin spacey in it and he has an utterly dysfunctional marriage and his wife is is cheating on on Are him talking and real so life forth or? yeah exactly yeah <laughs> that's true as well and in the in the movie he becomes infatuated he gets hooked into this this girl in the fantasies of of his daughter's high school friend and it sets a different course for him to where he's going to to get this this girl he's going to seduce her and so forth and and the movie part of the movie is this undercurrent of him working out and kind of devolving into an adolescent state but that's exactly what I think about working out. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's my justification. Of yeah. Too. Yeah. Right. I don't want to become a high schooler again. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But the, there's a scene where she spends the night at the house with his daughter mm-hmm. and somehow they, you know, they're having this interaction and she's consenting to have sex with him mm-hmm. and she, and he's there and, uh, he looks ravenous, the look on his face, and he pulls her shirt open. And she has this line where she says, uh, be careful, or be gentle, I think it is. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. It's my first time. And shock, his face changes instantaneously to a look of horror mm-hmm. and shock. And his response to her in her vulnerability is what I've already mentioned. He goes and I think he gets a robe and he puts it on her and he moves into a fatherly role, into a, a role where he protects her rather than exploits her. And that is the, in the person that uses pornography, I think that's a good picture of the shift that I would say needs to ought to be made from someone who exploits who moves towards to consume to someone who stewards vulnerability in a way that protects cares for and loves and you see you get to see that that contrast in a in a second played out in in his role and so that's the other piece love as we talk about that and and the question of that i put out there is how do we love first? How do we love the other? Well, if that's something we ought to do, and does love make for a better society, better culture, better relationships? Does it make for, dare I say, better sex? And how do we steward each other's vulnerability? How do we, how do we move into vulnerability when we see vulnerability? Do we exploit? Do we use for our own means and purposes, or do we look to cover, protect, and so forth? They're just in terms of, yeah, again, 
thinking about places that we can start from to talk about how we move into this this issue. I think those are are some things to think about. It's good. It's heavy. There's a lot to think about. I'm just like trying to process as you're doing all that. All right. I always thought that the ultimate essence of repentance was being a nudist. Hmm. Uh, you want to talk about that more? No. Uh, maybe we should leave that for, uh, okay. <laughs> for next time. <laughs> a later date. A later date. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah, that's something that's been, and I think I've mentioned it here on the podcast uh, a lot, is God's been teaching me when I took on proven men mm-hmm. seeing that I, the concept that Yahweh had slaughtered an animal something that he just created yeah um, to clothe right and then you see that sacrifice happened again with his own very son mm. um, and um what Christ does with his body, which Shane talks about um, and had talked about in the previous podcast in episode two uh, and how important that is. Yeah. We're clothed in his righteousness and you see that play out in his life when the lady's drug out from her adulterous mm-hmm. affair uh, and how gentle he was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe an interesting comment, gentle in that situation, yet harsh with those to take advantage. What, what in your opinion so men who value this, yeah. how do we respond, right? Because, I mean, presumably we're talking to um, Christians and non-Christians alike about this mm-hmm. topic, I would hope. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like to be a man who not only is gentle with those who are broken in this society, right? Gentle with the, the women who have been abused um, yeah. to yeah. come alongside and clothe, but also... Um, what does that look like to be violent for the, hmm. uh, maybe violence, not the right word, right? but, um, I, I've always, I, I learn combat, right? I learn hmm. like martial arts, yeah. um, in order to be a peacemaker. I, I really like that quote, hmm. right? You can't make peace. Uh, uh, you can't be a peacemaker if you can't make peace. Hmm. And that requires a sense of violence or yeah. a level of violence, a level of ability to create calm, yeah. Um, yeah. What does that look like in our culture today to draw men, right? Like, especially men who claim Christ, but men in general, because there's such a culture today where, right? Like, I, I yeah. Where I mean, I heard it today. Like, it's almost a prize to be able to win this girl, right? Sure. And it, it, racking up the numbers, right? We all knew that in high school, right? Like, how many, how many girls could you get? And it's like this really yeah. fun game that men play um, and get to talk about as if it's, you know, as if the Caps beat the Penguins in the playoffs this year. Please, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but, right. It's it's the same similar concept, right? Like, um, I, I won this over. Like, what does yeah. it look like to be a godly man in that situation to um, call out that culture? Yeah. I mean, it- I think to all who would look to to inflict uh, pain and walk in ways of injustice, that we oppose that in all the ways that that we can, that we stand in opposition, that we stand against. And the same question applies to those that would look to perpetrate it with ill intent 
as well as what what does it look like to love them as they look to exploit others and yeah sometimes that means that we you know that we do we need to fight against and i think the nature of the fight is the question comes out of that what does the fight look like but honestly walking with with men in in the counseling room a part of that is uh, they don't know what it to love well themselves they haven't been loved well mm. and i'm not making justification right. for this but they haven't been loved well they've been given as to your point they've been handed what's been cultivated in them is a false sense of masculinity mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a, not just a man but what does it mean to be a good man what does it mean to be a loving man what does it look like in all of our lives as men to exercise a tender strength and so you're speaking to the strength part what does it look like to exert strength i mean i think it we have the opportunity we can if there if other folks are open to it that would look to perpetrate or use and so forth that we can model vulnerability because probably my assumption is that most of us have not been taught have not been shown what it looks like to be strong and tender and loving men in a way that honors women right and so mm-hmm. i think our first responsibility is to call men out of those ways that there is to use paul's words there is a more excellent way and so that more excellent way that he's referring to is what we've already been talking about is is the way of love and so to love you it's not exclusive to oppose you can be to love you absolutely right i can oppose you and love you and sometimes that's right. that's exactly what you need yeah uh, kid don't climb up that ladder yeah yeah right? even though you want to yeah right but i think making spaces for inviting men to to be men that look like jesus and what you talked about to be vulnerable in order to to protect in order to love in order to to clothe you have a culture that tells them that is giving them a version of masculinity that like i said is is false but there's buy-in and so what else do i do right what else does masculinity look like we don't have those models we don't have those exemplars or very often we don't and uh, as we sit here and if i was asked a question okay and when you think of a man a man that you want to emulate who is that and we could say i hope we would say jesus but an embodied man that's walking around right now out there somewhere who is that person right most men would be hard pressed to say oh yeah bobby smith who lives here that's that's a man who yeah, those things that you're talking about he's doing that and he's i'm under his tutelage i'm i'm learning from him and i'm learning how to shed these these parts of me that quite frankly have been given to me that I've inherited these idle ways of my forefather to quote first Peter 118 these these idle ways that have been given to me I'm learning how to shed those and how to to do something different um again I'm not making excuses but I don't know that we are inviting our peers other men within the sphere of our influence if we have influence are we wielding that to invite them into a place of 
to of self-examination. Now put and, on your your pastor hat. Yeah. Take off your counsel, your M A M A N C L C P, all the other letters, M and O P letters behind your name. And what does it look like? So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably way over time. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, it's like four forty-five. <laughs> okay, so, no problem. No problem. Um, but um, yeah, put on your pastor hat for a minute. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Could be the water. Could uh, be, could be. Uh, shoot. It's drowning out your thoughts. Yeah. Rem- men, building men. Yeah. Yeah. What does it look okay. like for the church to do that then? Um, what does it look like to teach these things to, like, at the Good Shepherd and yeah. for churches to model, right? Because right now if I'm learning porno- if I'm learning sex, intimacy, love right. through pornography— um, and 97% of Christian men have viewed pornography. Right. And that's 97% of Christian men in 2014. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a generation of younger men who are growing up with cell phones in their hands since seven. Yeah. What does it look like for, for you as a pastor to, uh, model, uh, biblical manhood? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to back up a little bit. Sure. I think all of us are, as we talk about, as I brought up, what does it mean to be human? We're, we're all meaning making creatures. Right. And we're all trying, we're all doing philosophy at some level because we're trying to make, we're asking questions and we're trying to make meaning out of our lives. Right. And it's not, so it's not necessarily just the church's responsibility. Well, the culture is speaking to that. So is it, I would say it's a, so it's a competition of narratives, of meaning-making narratives. And story is one of the main ways that we make meaning for ourselves. We're obsessed with novels and movies, and we sw- that's the water we swim in as people. And not just because we like entertainment, but, but I would propose that because we're trying to make sense of, of the world. And so right. as it relates to church, and as it relates to, as we talk about sexuality, masculinity, femininity as well, which we're not talking so much about. And what does it mean? Which we may soon. I mean, yeah, yeah, heck, yeah. by the way the day's going. <laughs> yeah. Just right. hang out here all day. Yeah. So what does it mean? So our being in the world, what does that, that look like? And that's the question. What does it look like as men? So if the culture is telling a story, we've unpacked some what we think that story is. Yeah. I think the church... It's essential that the church tell a different story or the right story or the biblical story or the story of Jesus or the story of what it means to flourish as mm-hmm. as humans, what it means to be sexualized or people that are sexual beings and the, the context of that because it's a better way. So if the church isn't telling the story, if it's not giving a narrative that is appealing that's quite frankly beautiful Uh, i don't i'm not going to have any part in that and so i think is the narrative that the is the story that the world is telling is it more appealing to your average person than the story that the church is telling are the people in the world that they look more attractive they look happier they seem more fulfilled than your churchgoer and if the answer to that is yes, this over here 
no one can see my hands, but the world story is more beautiful. It's more appealing than obviously that's, that's a choice that they can make, but the church isn't doing, isn't telling the story. I believe in a way that they ought to, that resonates, I would say in us where this, the, the good life is found in Jesus. He lived the best life and I'm going to follow him because I want the best life. And I want that for everyone else. And so it's not, I'm not inviting you into restriction for restriction's sake. I'm inviting you into a better way, this way of, of following Jesus, because I believe his way is the best way. And so what does it look like as a church or what does it look like at, at the church I'm a part of? I think it's to, to tell the story, to tell the story of, of Jesus, to tell the story of redemption to tell a story of, of hope, to tell a story of reconciliation, to tell a story of a man who died for his enemies to redeem them and to reconcile them to a good father who cares for them, that they might be uh, a beacon of light and flourishing to the world. Uh, that's a good story. Yeah. That's a good story. And that he has given us sex and our bodies as as a gift to be shared with one another for particular purposes and yet part of that purpose is pleasure but it's to reflect his relationship jesus's relationship with us that it's it's a covenant relationship we serve a god who's a covenant maker and a covenant keeper and you know and how i feel in that i know this is feelings but that gives me a base that makes me feel safe, that makes me feel secure, that gives me trust. The, again, back to put, put me inside of the fence. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I could run out on the street if I want to, but this is, this is where there's plenty in, in here for, and it's for my protection. It's right. because he loves me, not because he's robbing me. And so, Again, that's the story. That's part of the story. That's the story that he's going to renew and recreate all things. And we're, we're broken. I mean, we're even as good as our sexuality might be. There's still, it's still broken because we live in a world that has fallen, that is sinful. And so, and you brought this point, it's elusive. The golden-haired woman is elusive, right. and the perfect sex life is elusive. Ultimate fulfillment is elusive because we still groan until we put on bodies that are incorruptible. Right, we're not. We're in a place. It's not our home. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, back to the point. My hope is that not only is the church telling the story, but the story is embodied in its people. And so. It's not only twofold, but those are two important things yeah. that we are giving folks a story and that story has to do with our sexuality because that's a part of who we are. And Jesus speaks to that too. Right. Which I think is a strike contrast between, uh, in contrast with the, the response in the sixties from the church was, um, uh, highlighting the fence 
right? Highlighting the restrictions. Yeah, it needs to be taken down. Peering over, yeah. It's oppressive. It is oppressive, right? So, and that's and that's what the culture was teaching, but the yeah. the church was saying um, that it's bad to go across the fence. Not, right. Not the freedom and the love and the grace that's inside of it. Right. Like it's not. It's it was teaching the the negative aspects and not everybody right like there's there's examples of like really good teachings from the church right in the 1960s but i don't feel like the church did a very good job stepping into that role it's easy for mm. me to all right so let me yeah. back up it's really easy for me to critique <laughs> sure <laughs> what happened when i wasn't alive yeah uh, and that's a little pompous of me uh, so maybe i should back off a little bit but one um Interesting article of research that I read, and mm-hmm. Pierce um, was one of the authors. I was trying to look, just uh, thinking where it was. Um, but the I, the concept of the research was um, comparing pornography use with um, uh, child relationships, like mm. relationships with their children, as mm. well as religious attendance, like religious service attendance. So really? there's three different things. So like regular pornography use with how these parents are relating to their children and feel like filling the holes essentially yeah. of, of a lot of different research that was going on. So it was an interesting article. Um, and I'm sorry that I can't remember the other author's name, but, uh, not shockingly, it had found there was three different principles of um, negative relationships with the children, right? Like yelling or three different variables. So you mm-hmm. have yelling at your children on a regular basis, um, eating at the table with your child and feeling connected to. Hmm. Um, so those are like the three different like questions of figuring out, right? Like yeah. how this is playing out. And, that, and I originally read the article for the religious attendance. And I think this is where it comes into play. The religious attendants found that uh, the higher the religious attendants, the more stigma and the more shame that was attached to regular pornography use. Yeah. Um, which tells me um, that the church isn't teaching either. The church isn't teaching grace well. Right. Right. So, so what that causes is shame. Yeah. Which I don't think is a healthy trait. Right. Um. Uh, well, it's not a healthy trait insofar as that it lasts long, right? right. Like a long-lasting trait of, of feeling. But you're seeing that. And what happens uh, with most users of pornography is that um, it, is a antidote, it is an antidote to make me feel better in whatever right. context of life. And so the church, I don't think, is doing a good job based off this study teaching that. So it literally said the higher the mm-hmm. attendance of religious services... Yeah the more stigma and the more shame was attached to mm. pornography use. Yeah. Uh, and so I think what, in, in relation to the story that we're teaching, I think the story that the church has been teaching, but based off this research yeah. is that um, there's no place for you. <laughs> there's right. no place for you in this Christian story, in the story of salvation and the story mm. of grace. If you're a pornography watcher. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. just to finish the point, uh, there was no real correlation between pornography use and yelling at your children. Apparently, okay. Okay. <laughs> apparently, yelling at your children is pretty normal. Okay, uh, no matter what's going on in your life, uh, what you're struggling with. Uh, but there was a correlation, uh, a negative correlation for high pornography use and eating with your children and feeling connected with them. Um, and the interesting. the interesting aspect was uh, well, and this wasn't studied, but the takeaway was that you're more emotionally detached. 
and hmm. you're not spending you're spending less time with him because you're preoccupied with yeah absolutely isolation and doing yeah. these things in isolation which yeah. makes obvious sense absolutely so, but yeah it, i think you're right i think the church needs to start telling the story better yeah um and, and even further the story of salvation but the story of grace like right absolutely right? Because they step out of the walls and they're facing a world where they're calling them hypocrites, right? Yeah. If you live any outside your ethic understandings, which right. we know is just a daily part of our walk, like then you're a hypocrite. Yeah. Right? Which is something that the church, I think, needs to teach the world, right? Mm. Like we're all broken people. Yeah, exactly. Pursuing this Jesus. But it's yeah. just interesting to me that study showed, in my opinion, in my view, like my takeaway from this is that, okay, if the highest religious attendance in these services, um, brings about the highest shame hmm. in pornography users. Yeah. It breaks my heart as somebody who works with proven men, right? Like, yeah. as we say that the place of hope and healing should happen in the local church. Yeah. It's where it should happen. Right? right. Mainly because I don't have the means to, well, primarily because I don't have the means to handle all these men who hmm. are coming to us, but also like you're the shepherd of their, yeah. their gifts. Yeah. You're the shepherd of their hearts and their families and their, you know, and, um, uh, shepherd them yeah you know walk with them through that and it, it breaks my heart to think that there's men in our congregation there, there is men i know there is men in congregations who mm-hmm. leave there feeling like crap yeah only to drive them further into isolation which is exactly the opposite of what christ has called us to yeah yeah that's interesting because as you talk about the research that there is higher shame-based proneness with those that are in the church as it relates to pornography than mm-hmm. outside the church. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. And, that holds, and that's true. I had a conversation with a, um, a care pastor of a church. So that's really a new thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, these counseling services embedded in larger churches typically. Hmm. And the lady said, well, wh- how would we, how would we market this? Wouldn't we just take, you know, wouldn't we want these guys to meet on a different night to, uh, to promote confidentiality. I said, the only thing you're promoting, Mm. literally the only thing that you'll promote doing that is deeper shame and more Mm. stigma. Right. And I had just read this article. So I'm like on fire for this point, but it's like, no, absolutely. Like they are no different. These men in your church who are struggling with pornography are absolutely no different than the women who stand in the halls and gossip about the other women in the Mm. church. Right. Like, are you going to stigmatize them? Right. Right. Like these are broken men who need Jesus. Like everybody else who steps foot in that church at any different time at any given time, even the pastor on Monday when he steps in the church, Mm. exactly the same. Right. I think there is something to say about, sins against the body. However, yeah. the point is like all you're promoting in this, I like hope for confidentiality, yeah. um, is greater stigma, greater shame. It's yeah. Like, no, yeah. please stop. Um, yeah. and it's, it, it's, uh, well-intentioned. Sure. But ill-informed. Hmm. Yeah. Is what I've seen. Yeah. And as you talk about that, that perhaps the only difference between so the, the the church person who's struggling with shame and the person in, in the world is that for one so the the word confession in the in the Greek is homo logia, which is to speak homo the same or speak homo the same and logia is to speak and so I agree I agree with God that I have a proneness to to not do the things that I ought to do. So we would say sin. 
you know, and that's, I agree with him that that's my state, but then, so that makes space for me to feel shame. And it leaves me, as we said earlier, it leaves me vulnerable, but where do I place my vulnerability? I can place my vulnerability in the hands of someone who says, I don't condemn you. And so I don't, I don't have to go to shame. So I actually can do something with my shame. I confess that, yes, I'm, I'm messed up, that I cannot save myself on my, even from porn with my own resources. So I, I confess that I speak that. And that's what God says. You can't, you can't save yourself with all your internal resources or, or external resources that you have at your disposal, apart from Christ, you can't save yourself. So I acknowledge that in my confession. And then I take my vulnerability, the fact that I can't do what I just said, and I place it in the very hands that won't fail me, which is Christ's hands, which bled for me to take my shame. And so it's sad. To that point, it's, it's sad that we were sitting here talking about how prone folks are in the church to have shame when the remedy to our shame and our vulnerability is what is given to us. And in this news that we call good, that's a part of it. You don't have to, you don't stand condemned. You don't have to stand under the weight of your failures. And so that too, that's good. It's your point, right? Like it's a secular guy struggling out there on his own feeling empty like there's no there's nothing to look in on Mm. right like there's nothing to uh, well i was hopeful for you that they might live that out in the world well if that's what that what we're being taught that's what we're feeling then yeah there's nothing really to to look to if anything is worse right right it is worse yeah and i think the and i said across from guys and that what's the answer to my vulnerability it's to not be vulnerable Mm -hmm. i have to protect and guard myself because people same thing people will move towards me and on the worst end of it in abusive ways to exploit me to take advantage of me and so power i have to gain power so that people don't use their power against me and inevitably they will. That's the intention. And so the, that way is the way of power. And so false masculinity is I have to gain as much power as I can in order to do what? Well, to protect myself because vulnerability is not an option. Vulnerability is not a better way because I've been vulnerable and what happens in that people take advantage. And because we don't steward it well, I haven't seen it steward well to that, to this person. And so that's, that's my option. Mm. I can't, I don't place myself in hands that won't fail that I can trust because those hands don't exist in my world. And my story has shown that time and time again, open yourself up. What happens? You get hurt, you get wounded, and then you're left to contend with those own wounds in your own shame. And I'm not doing that, you know? And so, yeah. You know, we have the cliche axiom doggy dog world. Mm-hmm. But in many people's lives, that's, yeah, that that's is the reality. That's the reality. Yeah. And, and that's true. I mean, in, in culture, that's, that is a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have to be our reality? I think not because of what we've been talking about, obviously. But yeah, a part of that, a big part of that, as you said, these, the men that move in to exploit, it's because that's the game. 
there's no, I haven't been told that there's any other way to go. Mm. And so I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good place to stop. Okay. This is time for one last question, which is, uh, uh, starting to become a thing, I guess. Uh, and, uh, I think everybody in your life, um, would like to know, um, including me, uh, what product do you use in your hair to get it to look so daggone good all the time? I'll have to, uh, speaking of vulnerability, I'll have to, <laughs> if this is a secret, I'm going to be ticked. Cause if I've it's been a secret? To, yeah. I, I was saying, if you're going to keep it a secret, I'm going to be upset. Well, this will go to the entire listening audience. Am I ready to go there? Okay. So I, <laughs> am I going to take the plunge? I think this is going to be, this is going to be weird. Okay. A little bit weird. Uh oh. So, oh, so it actually is something that you're going to have to work out in your heart. I can tell you. you want me to tell you? I definitely. And want then you can choose me. whether or not to keep it in. Well, so we'll the, keep it in if you. The, how would you describe it? What would you? What would you say? Uh, your hair. Yeah. What? What? So, what so you to ask we, that question? Yeah, we have a similar hairstyle. Yes. A similar haircut. I think my hair's a little. But you have a way better mustache. Uh, a killer true. mustache. That's true. Fantastic. But if I could grow a beard like yours, I would. Uh, I just can't because I'm not man enough yet. One day I'll be a real boy. Uh, that's why I, every day I wake up and I do exercises. You have to but, become a real boy. Yeah. but Like Pinocchio? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, he didn't exercise Pinocchio. Right. He kind of did. He did some swimming. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, so we have a similar hairstyle. It's, you yeah. know, the shaved on the side with the flow on the top. Mm-hmm. But I've, every time I've seen you, so the three times that I've seen you now, four times that I've seen you in real life. In real life. Real you've person. had... A killer hair. It's, it's a perfect flow, right? Lays nice. It, mm-hmm. it sits. It's got some volume to it. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, I can't do that, especially not throughout the day, right? Like I'm, I'm looking at you now. It's four. It is five oh six o'clock. My wife uh, is probably like. And it's weird. very windy. This is the most blustery day we've had. In, yeah. Yes. Yes. When. To that yeah. point. So it's windy as I'll get out. It's it is. five o'clock at night, and your hair still looks great. And I don't understand, you. like, I, what is it that causes Here, that Here's the thing? secret, okay? Don't, don't react. This, this is the secret. Out. I'm going to be tipped. No, it's organic. organic. It's natural. You don't pee in your hand. <laughs> Please tell me it's not, no, not your no. hand. Okay. Not going there. So just a little bit or it gets greasy. I take a pea, the size of a pea, like the amount letter. of coconut oil. Okay. And you... Rub it into your palm, and then you run it through your hair, and it it gives it a little, <laughs> little shimmer, and it actually, as it dries, it it solidifies a little bit more, and so it has a little bit of hold to it. Shut up. How did I find that out? I don't really recall, but there's so much chemicals in everything else. It's like what's a natural way to go, and so I've been doing it for you're one of those a long time. Yeah, one of those that doesn't want to put carcinogens. <laughs> <laughs> mercury in your mercury, top of your head. Yeah, exactly. Like on your noggin. So that's it. Well, that's so just, frustrating. Just a little bit of organic coconut oil. Okay, but... Not too much. Be not gre- too much be oil. Greasy. Now, do you put it in full dry, right? Like, do you have fully dried hair before you do that? Or yes. is it a little wet? It's dry. So you blow dry your hair in the morning. You can admit that, because I do too. 
I never yes. thought I would. <laughs> I never thought I would. Wow. Let me, let me invite Here you into you are. This is good. This is good. <laughs> it's like one of those weird things that you have to come to reality. Uh-huh. Like I'm going to use my wife's hair dryer yeah. because my hair's so daggum. As we talk about masculinity, it's okay. Hey, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, my work. There's room for that. Is it's not in your hair or my hair. But you, you've got great, it's just so, like, your volume is so freaking frustrating. It's like mine now. I mean, I put my hat on this morning, but it's just like, this is what I'm dealing with. It's good, though. Try it out. Let me know. I will. Just a little bit. We'll actually. A little shimmer, a little hold. We'll like, once we launch this podcast, I'll do a video, a proven video, a proven hair video. Proven hair. From here up. Call it. Yeah. From here okay. up. And then I'll come here down of okay. mustache, right? For those who can't see, it's nose to top of noggin mm-hmm. to nose down to bottom of chin. Gotcha. Um, anyway, this Excellent. has been really fun. Uh, Marshall, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for asking me the hard questions. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Next time we'll get even, there's a couple on here that I didn't ask. Okay. Because I didn't want to put you to on it. the spot. But um, yeah, thank you all you listeners uh, for taking the time out of your day to sit down with us and have this conversation. We hope it's been uh, edifying in your walk. We hope it's been uh, fruitful uh, that you've been challenged and that um, we would all together find a way forward. Um, so thank you again, Mike. And thank you. Peace. We'll Appreciate see it. you next month. Okay. We'll do. Awesome. <laughs>